Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29. And I want to pick up in verse number 3. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 3. The Bible says, He, in the first year of His reign, in the, month, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And He said unto them, Hear me. Ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord, God our, of, of, our, of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs." Also they have shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps, have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for this text. I pray you'd use it in our lives. And may it be a help to us individually. May it be a help to us as a church. And Father, I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. So remember last week, real quickly, let me get you caught back up. Now remember last week, we looked at, uh, in 1 Kings, and we looked and saw the introduction to the life of Hezekiah. Now what we looked at last week was simply, um, he had a wicked, wicked father. His father was Ahaz, and if you remember, his father was a wicked king. So much so, that he had turned Israel to idolatry, and not only turned Israel to idolatry, but had literally stamped out worship of the God of Israel or Jehovah. And then we saw as well the wickedness of his dad was so bad that he even made his son walk through fire to appease his idolatrous gods. But then we saw that he had a mother, a mother that had a godly upbringing and a mother that was a godly influence. And, and through that godly influence, Hezekiah... Uh, grew up and had a desire to obey God. And so immediately he set forth to begin to set Israel back onto a pathway of getting their eyes back on the Lord and obeying the Lord God of Israel. Now, what we find in this text, when you find the life of Hezekiah, you find it in Second Chronicles. You also find it in Second Kings where we're at last week. Now, what happens is if you go through the life of Hezekiah and you do it in chronological order, you're going to have to jump back and forth between the two books. And so what we're doing is we're picking up in verse 3. Why? Because verse 1 and 2 of Second Chronicles 29 is really, we even referred to it last week, what we dealt with last week. But I want to look at verse 3 because I want to tell you something. I didn't go looking for this passage. This passage found me. And, and this passage did a work in me. And, and I believe it's a timely passage for our church family. But I also believe it's a, it's a truth that needs to be heard in every church in America. I mean, this is a passage that absolutely is spot on to the day in which we live in here in America, especially for the church. So let's look at this together. It says here in verse number 3, we deal with first is the priority of needed sanctification. The priority of needed sanctification. Now you say, what do you mean by sanctification? Well, remember, sanctification has this idea. It's the same thing used for cleansing or consecrating. 
And it has the idea of setting apart uh, uh, to be holy unto God. So in other words, what Hezekiah began to do here is he put it priority, the first thing he done as king was to set apart the worship of God as priority of his office. So in other words, that was the first emphasis or the first priority in which Hezekiah had on his heart. Now, this is important. Why? Because the Assyrians had already threatened them. Uh, Remember, his dad, Ahaz, had entered into a covenant with the Assyrians, but now Hezekiah will not enter into that covenant with the Assyrians. Why? Because God said not to. And yet Hezekiah has taken that stand, and now the Assyrians are very much threatening Israel. Now, because of that, Israel would see them as a great, great threat. Matter of fact, they would have more of our army than Israel would have. They would be a very much immediate threat. Now, you would think, as a king, his first priority would be to protect Israel. But can I tell you today, he knew that the best way to protect Israel was to get Israel back to where they were spiritual and they were having worship to God and they were obeying God. And so Hezekiah made worship the priority, not protection. Because he knew if worship was right, God would be all for them and God would help them and God would protect them. Can I tell you today, wouldn't that be a good message for our country? I mean, we need to understand today that worship is not something that is a check on a duty list. Worship is a living manifestation of the life of the Lord Jesus in you and I. And if you and I have fellowship with Him, worship will be an outflow of our lives. Now, worship involves many things. Uh, worship involves your service. Worship involves your intimacy. Worship invol- involves your, your study, your prayer time. Worship involves many, many in, in, in instances in your life. But can I tell you, if you and I have not let Him be priority in our life, if He's not the first thing in our life, then I promise you, anything else you do is not going to be worship. I don't care how good you think it is. God will not receive it as true worship. And so Hezekiah understood this, and Hezekiah put as a priority to get the worship back to Israel. Now, I want to read a quote. Sometimes I find these quotes, and and they just say it better than I can say it. An old Bible scholar from the 1800s named Wilcock, here's what he said about this priority in which Hezekiah put on worship. Listen to what he says. When when there is a financial crisis, the first thing we think about is money. Now, let me add something to that, if you will. When there's a gas crisis, the first thing we think about is gas. I I mean, in other words, when there's a financial crisis, the first thing we think about is money. When there's a communication crisis, our primary concern is to learn how to talk in a language a modern generation can understand. When there is a church attendance crisis, we make it our chief aim to get numbers up. If Hezekiah had responded in this way, if Hezekiah's mind would have been on this, if Hezekiah had responded to a military threat in a military way, the Assyrians would have understood that. Army would have been matched against army with dire circumstances to Judah. But instead, he and his people first looked to God and to restore the worship that they had forsaken. When your worship is priority, 
Everything else will take care of itself. Now, I didn't say you wouldn't go through tough times. You will. But here's what I am saying. God will manifest himself in those tough times. See, when we're not walking in intimacy, when we're not walking in worship, then we have to understand that we're grieving and quenching the Lord. And when we do that, folks, listen to me. The Lord will not, not that he cannot, but many times the Lord will not manifest himself. And Hezekiah understood this. And so Hezekiah the, made it a priority to restore the worship to Israel. All right, now let's look at a couple of things under this priority of needed sanctification. Look first with me at the preparation of sanctification. Notice what he says. In the first year of his reign... In the first month. Now, you, you read that and you think, well, in the first month of the first year of his reign. That's not what it's saying. It's saying in the first year of his reign, when the first month of the Jewish calendar year came, the month of Nisan. Now, you say, why is that important? Because he was acting in such a way to restore worship. Why? Because the month of Nisan was when the Passover took place. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread took place. And so he was restoring worship. Why? Because they were preparing to take of the Passover, which they had not taken in a long time. Why? Because King Ahaz forbid it to be taken and shut up the temple of God and shut off worship to God. And so Hezekiah goes against his own dad and he restores him again to restore worship. Why? So they could take of what God commanded them to take. The celebration of what God did and delivering them from death and delivering them from bondage. And this was priority to him. Now, Here's the amazing thing. If you're saved today, every day's Passover for you. And you say, what do you mean? Well, can I tell you something? Aren't you glad today we don't have to wait till one time a year to celebrate what Jesus did for us? Now, we have what's called the Lord's Supper, which is a discipline uh, which by you and I get prepared to take of. Why? Because if we take unworthily, the Bible says we trample underfoot the blood of the Christ. But yet you and I prepare to take of the Lord's Supper as a discipline. In other words, through confession and repentance. But here's the reality. You and I must be ready and prepared to obey God in worship. Can I tell you what kind of worship we're going to have this morning? Y'all ready? Say amen. However you worship this week is what's going to happen this morning. You see, this is what we need to understand. That as we prepare ourselves for what God has for us, we do it with a sense of urgency. Because I want to say it again, if there's no worship, anything we do, God's not going to be pleased with. Don't matter how kind-hearted you are. Don't matter how giving you are. Don't matter how pleasing you are to other people doesn't matter if any of that i'm telling you folks god demands himself to be supreme and anything else we do will be tainted if it's not worship are y'all got that say amen all right now let's let's go on not only do we see the preparation of sanctification we see the place of sanctification watch what it says here in this passage with me look at verse three 
Middle verse 3, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, what does that mean? Well, go back with me just a moment to chapter 28 and verse 24, and you'll find out what this is referring to. Chapter 28 and verse 24, it says, And Ahaz, which was Hezekiah's dad, gathered together the vessels of the house of God, cut them in pieces of the vessels of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. That being idolatrous altars. So in other words, here's what his dad did. His dad said, listen, we're not going to worship Jehovah. We're going to worship other gods. And so he nailed the doors shut to the temple where no one could go in and worship God. And Hezekiah, first thing he did is he said, hey, let's fix the doors. Let's repair the doors. Let's open the doors so we can go in and obey God in our worship. Now, here's the, here's the truth I want you to get. What doors in your life have been shut and keeping you from truly worshiping? In other words, what doors does God need to repair in your life? You see, I guarantee you, if we're really honest before God, all of us have areas of our life where God's still working on us. And listen, can I tell you, to the day you die, God's going to be working on you. But are you willing to let him repair whatever doors in your life that's keeping you from worshiping? I mean true, deep intimacy with the Lord. And with intimacy comes automatic service. Listen, if you're intimate with the Lord, you're going to serve God. If you're not intimate with the Lord, you're not going to give yourself to service. I promise you. You give me somebody that's always reluctant to serve the Lord, I'll give you somebody that's not walking in intimacy with God. You see, intimacy outflows itself in service. And so what Hezekiah said, he said the first thing we got to do is we got to start in the place of worship. And in this case was the temple, the tabernacle. Now, how many of you agree today that the Bible says Jesus is the door? So can I ask you a question? When you and I worship, What's the basis of our worship? The life of the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you, you can't worship without Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus said it to the woman at the well. When you worship, you're to worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible says Jesus is the spirit of Christ. And the Bible says he's the word made flesh. He is the truth. So when you worship, can I tell you, it's really not you worshiping. It's Christ worshiping through you. And he's the door that makes that reality. But you and I can grieve the Spirit of God. And we can nail shut worship in our hearts. And Hezekiah said, we, we have to begin there. 1 Peter 4, 7, 8. Judgment must begin in the house of God. We must begin there. We must repair the doors. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, we don't have a temple anymore. This don't apply to us. Oh, I tell you, you got something much better. If you're saved today, you are the temple of the Holy God. And so you've got to deal with the doors in your life. It's keeping you from worshiping that's keeping you from just absolutely setting self aside and say, Lord, whatever you want of me, here I am. That's worship. Well, so we see the priority of needed sanctification. I want you to look secondly at the proclamation of neglected sanctification. 
You see, what Hezekiah is having to remedy is what was neglected previously. So look at it with me in verse 4. You're going to find first the restrictions of cleansing. He says, and he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street. Now, the east street is, uh, for you that have been to Israel with me before, the east street, if you remember when we went up on the Temple Mount and, and we took a right and went down to the Pool of Bethesda towards the eastern gate, those steps, that, the bottom of those steps is the east street. So he brought them to the place where the priests could gather together, look inside the temple, and see the filthiness of the temple, and that they would have a burden that Hezekiah has to get the filthiness of the temple out. And so when he done this, why is there a restriction here? Because only the priest could do it. No one else could cleanse the temple. You say, why? Because they were going to handle the holy things of God concerning worship. And only, God designed in the Old Testament, only the priest could handle the holy things. Only the priest could, could institute and only the priest could orchestrate worship or acts of worship. And therefore, Hezekiah got the priest together and the priest was to sanctify the temple. You say, well, preacher, whew, I'm not a priest. I'm good. Oh, you better read the Bible. Can I tell you what the Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 1? When God saved you, you became kings and priests unto God. So can I tell you when God saved you, he put the life of the Lord Jesus in you that now through the life of the Lord Jesus, he sees you as righteous and seeing you as righteous, he sees you as holy and seeing as you as holy, he has set you apart unto himself for service, for worship. And let me tell you something, folks, you have saved people today. You handle the holy things of God because you contain the holy life of God. And therefore, guess what? And the only reason you and I would not worship is we've shut the door. There's doors in our life that we won't let him repair. See, this is the restrictions of cleansing. Notice the requirements of cleansing. Look at verse 5. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord. Now notice the order. So what's the two requirements? Sanctify yourself, sanctify the house of the Lord. But notice the order he puts them in. Where does it have to begin? You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Unless you let God root out of you anything that's hindering your worship, then the worship of our body will not be sanctified. Starts with me. Starts with you. You see, this is a work God's got to begin in you personally. And so I go back to my original question. Is there anything in your life that's hindering your worship? And if there is, are you willing to let him do it? See, he told the priest, he said, before you even touch the temple, before you even touch the things of God, before you even touch the things that are constituted for worship, you first deal with yourself. Now, here, here's the thing. The, the, the sanctifying of the priest was done through what's called the mikvah. It was the, it was the pools that were outside of the, of the temple. 
in which they were ceremonially cleansed themselves in water. Uh, the, the rabbinical writings call it living water. That, that ring a bell to y'all? Say amen. And so what they would do is they would ceremonially cleanse themselves in that water. Now, here's the picture. The Bible says the, the water is the word. And the Bible, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. You say, well, how do I sanctify myself that my worship can be sanctified? Here's the way it is. You begin by getting yourself deep into the word. Let God take the word. Be a mirror unto your heart. And as God shows you things, you deal with them as God shows them to you. And as you deal with them, let me tell you something. Your worship would come sanctified before God and then our worship together becomes everything God wants it to be listen this is important truth this is an important important truth so we see sanctify yourselves he said then sanctify the house of God there's the second requirement so once you sanctify yourselves Then the things that God has ordained to be for worship become sanctified. In this case, it's the temple. In our case, we're the temple. So what is it in our case? Well, your service becomes sanctified. Your praise becomes sanctified. In other words, sanctifying yourself will begin to pour out into every aspect of worship in your life. Now, let me ask you a question. If I asked everyone in here that's saved today, do you want your life to be a life of worship on the Lord? Every one of us in here say yes, 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 yes. And by the way, if you wouldn't say yes, you need to get saved. Y'all say amen. It's that simple. All right, so every one of us in here would say yes. We want our lives to be worship on the Lord. All right? Well, can I tell you, the only way our lives are worship on the Lord is when our lives are set apart unto him as holy first. And this is what he's dealing with. He tells the priest, sanctify yourself. Now sanctify the temple. Now notice the resolve, the resolve in cleansing. Notice what he says. He says, and and carry forth, verse 5 at the bottom, carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Now, what filthiness is he talking about? Well, listen, it's twofold. I mean, I'm sure it was physically filthy, dust, dirt, that type of thing. Why? Because, listen, Ahaz had shut up the doors. It hadn't been used in years. But more, more respectfully, here's the filthiness that it's talking about. It's the spiritual filthiness. You say, what do you mean? Because remember, Ahaz had brought idolatrous things into the temple and had people worshiping idols in the midst of the temple. And so they had to get them things out. Now, here's the reality. You remember the revival we had just a few weeks ago or a couple months ago? Remember Brad Lowry? Y'all remember the theme of that whole meeting? Carry the trash out. Haul the garbage. Y'all remember that? All right, remember, a lot of us got broken before God. A lot of us even confessed publicly some things that God was dealing with them in their life. Listen, folks, can I tell you something? That shouldn't be something that just happens one week of the year. That should be something that happens every day of your life. That is, God shows you the trash. It's God shows you the filthiness. You're willing to say, God, get it out. Do whatever you need to do. I first, I literally, I repent of it, and I confess it. Get it out of me. You see, there was resolve. What was the resolve? We're going to get it clean. So here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to let God do whatever he has to do to get you clean? Now, positionally, you're already clean if you're saved. But practically, how many agree? God's still working on us. 
I mean, the pitchers and the washing of the feet. I mean, if you remember the washing of the feet, uh, Jesus was going to wash the disciples' feet. And, and remember what Peter said, don't touch me, don't wash my feet. I'm not worthy of you. And Jesus said, if I wash not your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Now, why did Jesus want to wash your feet? Jesus told Peter. He said, you're clean, but you're not clean. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. Is he clean or not clean? Yes. You say, yes to which one? Both. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, Peter, listen, you're cleaned as far as how God sees you. But your feet are dirty from the world. Moment by moment, you have to have your washing of the water of the word. Why? Because you get spotted by your, this world. You get spotted by your flesh. So how often do I need to haul the garbage off? Every day. Every day. But what happens if you don't? He said, haul it off. Haul it off. You see, this is the resolve in cleansing. Now notice the reason for cleansing. Now watch verse 6 and 7. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. Now notice this. He didn't say his father. Now I mean, agree his father was the wicked king. So why did he say our fathers? Because Ahaz instituted this stuff, but guess what? They followed him. The priest began to worship idols. The people began to worship idols. The people and the priest allowed him to shut the doors of the temple. And he said, for our fathers have done that that is evil in the sight. Now, if you would have asked Israel during the time of Ahaz, the king, they said, you, you, what you're doing is wrong. No, it's not wrong. We're good. We're good. We're good. But see, that's the way they were thinking. Now, listen to me. Now, I'm going to love on you. What you think about your lifestyle matters not. What you think about how you're living, what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you should be doing, what you're not doing, it, it don't matter. What I think about how I'm living does not matter. And by the way, what other people think about how you're living does not matter. Good, bad. Doesn't matter. Can I tell you the only thing that matters? How God sees it. And the only way you're going to know how God sees it is right here. Because I promise you, you can get out of fellowship with God, you can disobey God, and you can convince yourself that you're okay, and you can convince yourself to the point that you're willing to justify it any way, shape, or form. Oh, listen, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing, I, listen, I'm doing what I think's best. Oh, let me tell you something. You don't need to do what you think's best. You need to do what God says is best. You see, they did that which evil. In the sight of God. It doesn't say in the sight of them. It doesn't say in the sight of men. It doesn't say in the sight of the priest. It says in the sight of God. Because why? They thought everything they were doing was okay. But now Hezekiah's come along. Hezekiah showed them the filth. And now, what are they doing? Now, they're willing to deal with it. Why? Because first thing he does is he exposed the sins of the fathers. And you say, what do you mean? Well, here are these that have given themselves to that that is evil in the sight of God. And it says here that they had forsaken him. 
forsaken him. So what does he deal with? The sins of the fathers, but then the sin of forsaking. Now, what did they, what did they do to forsake him? Now, watch this with me. Are, y- are y'all looking? Say amen. But I want to tell you something. God just, just absolutely drilled me with this. Watch what he says. And have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord. What is that referring to? What in the world is that talking about? It's talking about the forsaking through un, being unfaithful in worship. Because the Bible says when we're a worship, we're to worship face to face. Listen, here's the picture. I'm going to use Brandon in just a minute, okay? Here's the picture. That worship is to be face to face. What was significant about the temple? The presence of God, right? And so they were to worship in the presence of God. That's the habitation. But here's the picture, that you walk up to somebody face to face, and when you walk up to them, immediately you go like this. What's caused you to turn your head? What in your life has caused you not to be able to worship and caused you to turn your head? Whereby you've forsaken worship. You see, the first thing that you find here is they were unfaithful in their worship. The second thing you find here, they were unfaithful in their willingness. Notice what it goes on to say. Not only did they turn their head, they turned their backs. The first has to do with worship. The second has to do with obedience, a willingness to obey. So I walk up to Brandon. And when I walk up to Brandon, I turn my head. Don't want to look face to face. And then Brandon asks me to do something for him. I turn my back and I walk away. This is the sin that Hezekiah is trying to rectify. Turn with me to Psalm. Chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. Psalm of David. All right, watch this. Read this with me. One thing have I desired of the Lord. How many things? One. What do you think that means? How many agree David could have desired many things from the Lord? But he desired one thing. Above every other thing. How many agree? Whatever this desire is, is above every other thing that David desired in his life. Would you all agree with that? Say amen. One thing have a desire of the Lord that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to choir in his temple. What is he talking about? His presence. To be in his presence. To be in his presence. The one thing, the one thing, the only thing that matters to me, to be in his presence. The one thing I'll seek for, above seeking for anything else, be in his presence, be in his presence, be in his presence. Watch what it says. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in the pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies and round about me. What is David saying? He said, if my one thing, if my one desire, if my one seeking is to be in his presence, he said, then everything else will take care of itself. 
And now shall my head be lifted up, verse 6, above my enemies, round about. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger, for thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Forsake me. Neither forsake me, O God, my salvation. You say, well, preacher, listen. We live on this side of Pentecost, and the Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Can I tell you something? You're exactly right. As a child of God, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But here's the other reality of it. But that doesn't mean he's going to manifest himself through you. One thing, David said, that I'd be in your presence and worship. Worship face to face. Notice their unfaithful and willingness and worships shown to us in verse 7. See if this breaks your heart. It broke my heart when I read this. And also had they shut the doors of the porch. And put out the lamp. What does that mean? They turned the light off. What lamps are they talking about? The candlestick. The menorah. The very vessel that Jesus referred to when he said, I'm the light of the world. It's literally taking the light of the world. And putting it out where it won't shine. Wow. Notice thirdly the peril that necessitates sanctification. Watch verse 8 and 9. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. If you go back to Second Chronicles, you find out exactly what he's talking about. In one battle, Israel lost 120,000 people in a matter of hours. Why? Because worship wasn't the priority. We live in a day today, everybody wants to protect themselves. But only God can protect you. And so what we do is we forsake Him to try to protect ourselves. You see, that's backwards. Because when you're intimate in fellowship, obedience, and service, and worship, then the Bible says, Nothing can touch you but what God allows. You say, preacher, you're being hard. No, I'm helping you. And I'll tell you why in just a minute, okay? Now watch this. Let's go a little bit further. 1 Kings chapter 9 gives us an interpretation of verse 8 and 9. 1 Kings chapter 9 I want to read these verses to you. Verses 6 through 8. 
when Solomon was building the first temple, God gave a warning to Solomon of what would happen if Israel forsook his presence. In other words, turned their head or turned their back. And listen to what it says, verse 6 of 1 Kings chapter 9. But if you shall all at all turn from following me, you and your children will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel out of the land, and I, will, I, I have given them. And this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be, listen to this, a proverb and a byword among all people. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Have no effect in the world. In other words, God said, I will make you have no effect. A byword and a proverb. Let me ask you a question today. In America, how does the world see the church? Do they see the church as a powerful entity of the manifestation of God that's changing our country day by day, moment by moment, community by community, county by county, city by city, state by state? Is that the way they see the church? No, can I tell you, the church to the world today is a byword. You know why? Because the church in America has turned their head and turned their back. And God's took away his favor. I'm talking about in general. Now, there are churches. Y'all say amen. God's still resting on And so here's what God says. He said there's a peril that necessitates sanctification. In other words, here's what Hezekiah said. We can't, we can't but cleanse the temple. We have to. Lastly, the passionate nature of sanctification. Look at verse 10. Hezekiah is speaking about himself. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Now listen. What does he deal with? Hezekiah begins here by dealing with the cause of obedience. Why does Hezekiah want to cleanse the temple? Why does Hezekiah want to restore worship? He said, because it's in my heart. It's in my heart. Why should we serve the Lord in this way? It's in my heart. It's in my heart. Donald, come here a minute. How many of you agree if you're worshiping, service will follow? Okay. What would happen at Liberty if we, 50% of the people come to liberty, got in their heart to make worship their priority, service would follow. What would happen? Can I tell you what would happen? We'd have to find positions for people instead of people for positions. Wouldn't it be glorious if somebody came up to me or Donald or Howie or Mike and said, listen, God's put on my heart to serve. God's put in my heart to do this. Can I tell you what I would do? 
Well, glory. Now listen, we're blessed here at Liberty. Okay? For the most part. We don't have this problem. Now there are certain ministries that we do, but for the most part we don't. But I want to tell you something, folks. What would happen if it got in all of our hearts? You see, obedience comes from the heart. Let me give you an example. If you're pulling Kool-Aid at BBS, and it's in your heart, number one, you'll be faithful to it. Number two, it'll be worship. If you're putting a whistle in your mouth and refereeing an upward soccer game, and it's in your heart, it'll be worship. You say, why? Because service is not for people. Service is unto the Lord. Read it. Verse 10. Now it's in my heart to make a covenant of the Lord with the Lord. With the Lord. You see, service. How many agree? We ought to, ought to obey the Great Commission. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. All right, listen. Why do I obey the Great Commission? So I can be an influence to bring others to Jesus? No. Because I can't influence people to be, come to Jesus. But God can. But I be obedient and what I do is unto the Lord. What God does is he brings men and women unto himself. All right, so I sing in the choir. Why do I sing in the choir? So I can be a blessing to the people that sit in the 11 o'clock service? No. You sing in the choir because you're singing unto the Lord. And then God uses the great choir we have to bless our hearts. And to usher us into an attitude of worship. You see, service is unto the Lord. So whenever I say no to service, that God's prompt my heart to God's put in my heart to do. Here's what I've done. I've turned my head and I've turned my back. This is the cause of obedience. It was in his heart. Notice, secondly, in the covenant obedience. He said that I make him make a covenant. What is he talking about? Surrender, yieldedness unto the Lord. And then notice the call of obedience. Watch verse 11. My sons, talking now to the priest, be not negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him. That's what I just talked about. To serve him, not to serve the people of Israel, to serve him. God will take care of the people of Israel. And you should be ministers unto him and burn incense. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. If you're saved today, you're all called as priests to serve him. Every one of us. I had a lady one time tell me, she said, Preacher, she said, she was visiting the church that I pastored. Not this church. But she was visiting the church I pastored. Here's what she said to me. She said, I went to visit her and her husband in her home. And uh, she looked at me and she said, Preacher, I think we're going to join your church. I said, well, praise the Lord. If that's what God has for you, praise the Lord. 
She said, but I'm going to tell you up front, we're not going to do anything but sit and listen. I looked at her and I said, please go to another church. She said, why'd you say it to me? I said, because we got enough of those. You say, preacher, you're mean. No, I'm just being truthful. So here's the questions. Here's your invitation. Donald, whatever you feel led to do. Here's your invitation. Y'all ready? What doors in your life are you willing to let God repair today? What doors are you willing to let God take the nails out of? And open up that Christ can worship through you. Second question. Is there anything that's caused you to turn your head? Or turn your back? Now you say, preacher, why did you say, say that this was a message for our church? Have we got some bad things going on? No, not at all. But let me tell you something. How many agree God's blessed Liberty Baptist Church? How many agree we've seen a manifestation of God at Liberty Baptist Church? Y'all say amen. But I want you to listen to me. The minute we turn our head or the minute we turn our back, it can be taken away just as quick as it came. I had no intention of preaching through Hezekiah. None. And God took this passage and can I just say it this way? He had to haul some garbage out of your preacher's life this week. He had to repair a few doors. So how about this liberty? The Bible says the Lord Jesus set his face like flint to Jerusalem. And never moved. How about today? We set our face and our eyes. Upon the Lord. And we say Lord. Whatever that would cause me to turn my head. Would you haul the garbage off today? And then watch and see what the Lord does. This is a message to protect us. Because here's what I've prayed for myself. That if I personally am going to be a hindrance to what God wants to do here, I'd rather God take me out than me be a hindrance to what God wants to do. I really would. Because I believe what we saw the Lord do here at Liberty, which has been amazing, is just mercy drops of what he wants to do. See, one of the things that I want to make sure we don't do 
is live off of past blessings. How many agree we've seen God save countless numbers of people here? Do you all agree with that? Say amen. How many agree we've seen God do amazing works of repentance and brokenness? But can I tell you something? That's what he did. See, I want to be prepared for what he's going to do. And the only way I can is make sure there's no doors that need to be repaired. Father, you know my love for these folks. You know the praise that's in my heart for Liberty Baptist Church and what you've done here and how you've done it and the way you've done it. (laughs) Many times even beyond our expectations of what you've done. But Father, it doesn't take much to turn our head. It doesn't take much to turn our back. And Father, sometimes we can turn our head and just don't even realize it. The busyness of our life. The preoccupation with things in our life. And cause us to turn our head without even realizing. Father, today, I pray we have some folks that are willing to let you repair some doors. I pray we have some folks that are willing to get their focus solely on you. And just be willing to say, Lord, whatever you need to do in me. That this temple, this tabernacle, can be a vessel of worship set aside to you and you alone as holy worship, sanctified worship. I pray you'll do. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, and all God's children said,